Amen. Amen. I want to tell you about three different people, three different scenarios. The first is a woman who went through a divorce about 20 years ago when her husband uh, cheated on her with a woman much younger than her. This woman is still, 20 years later, rehearsing that story regularly in her mind. And it has poisoned her outlook on life. She is stuck with the event that so painfully wounded her 20 years ago. Second scenario is a man who got married very young, had a couple of kids, but became very uh, destructive with alcohol. And he lost his family. And though he has moved on, his regret around his life is so great he's not able to forgive himself. And so it's poisoned his outlook. He is stuck in regrets. Third scenario is a couple who loved their faith community, was super connected, very involved, and then they had a baby, and they really felt like when they had a baby, no one reached out from their church. No one supported them. They felt very overlooked. They felt very alone. And so they have not only left that church, but they've left all churches, and they're very disillusioned with God. What do those three scenarios have in common? What do those three stories have in common? All three involve an experience in the past that is still shaping the present. All three suffered a wrong, suffered a hurt, and all three are still rehearsing that story today. They are in some way still being shaped and controlled by events from the past. All three are in the mental habit of thinking on what went wrong in their life. And all three are stuck. Simon Park says these words, We take ourselves wherever we go. And most of the healing we bring to harsh situations does not flow from what we carry in our hands or speak with our lips, but who we are in ourselves. Self-knowledge is concerned with being good as we do good. It is for those who wish to bless crisis rather than hide behind it. The world is full of those who wish to be a light to the world without first being a light to themselves. And in this series, as we talk about worry and what the scriptures would have to say, we are saying who we are is who we bring to the world. We take ourselves wherever we go. I can change my circumstances, but if I'm worried and I'm anxious, I take that worried, anxious me wherever I go. So who we are becoming matters. Have you ever found yourself worrying or anxious because things did not work out fairly in your life? 
Have you ever found yourself rehearsing a story in your mind, having a conversation you wish you would have had? Reloading in your mind in case you ever get that opportunity again. When we are wronged, when we feel hurt or dissed in any way, we can spend an amazing amount of energy rehearsing those wounds in our mind, rehearsing what went wrong. It's amazing how much energy we can give without even realizing it to nursing resentments, pains, hurts, revenge fantasies. And the question is this for this morning. What would God have us do with the worry that stems from this simple reality. We live in a messed up world. What would God have us do with the worry and anxiety that comes from experiencing a hurt, a pain, as a result of living in a messed up world? So in this passage in Philippians that we're looking at through this whole series, the Apostle Paul is saying that there are things that we can think on. And this is his map. This is his plan from what he calls worry and anxiety to what he calls the peace of God. And so each week we're just taking one of these phrases. The first week, think on what is true. We said thinking on what is true is thinking on what is actual rather than the story I'm making up in my head. Then we talked about think about what is noble. And we talked about how much of our worry and anxiety comes from our getting, in and I- getting our identity out of whack trying to please other people or put up an image of who we are. And so nobility is remembering you are a child of the Most High King. Then we talked about purity. Today we're talking about think on whatever is right. Thinking on whatever is right rather than rehearsing the wrongs we've experienced. What does it mean to think on whatever is right when you have actually been wronged? The good news, the gospel of Jesus, says that Christ has made and is making all things right. And that is a sure and certain hope for a follower of Christ. And it doesn't depend on our efforts. So when we trust in God's justice, we relax into the peace of God. We're moving from that place of worry to that place of peace because we're not rehearsing everything that went wrong, figuring out how we can solve it, but we're having a patient, confident trust in his ability to make all things new and make all things right even when we cannot see it. So much of our worry comes from just focusing on what is wrong. Here's the thing about focusing on what is wrong. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of what is wrong that we tend to focus on is outside of our control. Do you want to know a fast path to misery? Spend a lot of your mental energy focusing on things you cannot control. You want to flip that around? Focus on things that are in your sphere that you can do today. You'll be amazed by how much peace comes. But we spend so much energy focusing our mind and our thoughts and our attention on things that are just outside of our control. A few years ago, 
my heart got broken. Tim's too. It was not the first time in my life that I had felt wronged. Uh, I would say, you know, little journeys with forgiveness aside, I have had, I think, really three substantial journeys with forgiveness in my life. But a few years ago, my heart got broken, and it centered on one primary relationship, but it kind of spidered out to, to a few. And I would say it was easily the lowest point in my adult life. Basically, one day we were holding all of the important pieces in our hands, and the next day, they were all shattered. You know, our jobs, several close relationships, we felt misunderstood. Our security, there's actually some dear friends in this room who showed up at our clay house that day, and that just came back to me. I haven't thought about that in years. But easily one of the lowest points um, in my adult life. It just was one of those seasons that erupted into a blaze of turmoil. And it left us reeling for a long time. We felt misunderstood, misrepresented, betrayed, wounded. So it starts with, like, shock. Then I remember grief. Then I remember fury. And then contempt. And now, many years and a lot of emotional and spiritual work later, I can look back and I can say, even long after the actual pain of that event and those events happened, even after the actual injury had passed, my bitterness continued to poison me. From the outside, we had rebuilt, we had rebounded, we were thriving from the outside. We recovered in every way you do. And yet, despite all that outward healing, you know, new job, new location, new season, inwardly, I was still unraveling. And I continued to do what I think many of us do, which is driving in my car, having a conversation in my head that I'm never actually going to have out loud. I'm working up my, you know, version. And in my version, everybody else is always way more wrong, and my part's pretty small. In my version, God's always on my side. And it was turning me into a bitter person on the inside. I would say my journey with forgiveness has been truly one of the most powerful journeys in my spiritual life. Now, when we talk about forgiveness in a context like this in a faith community, I want to do it tenderly. We approach it with caution because I know some of you have suffered heinous sins. Some of you have experienced things that are unforgivable in a court of law. Maybe your abuser went unpunished, has never been repentant. Some wounds hurt us emotionally, some physically, some destroy families. And there are various degrees of harm. All pain is not the same. 
It is not equal. But here's the thing. Our paths to healing have a common denominator. They all look, look different. There's no formula that, there's not one size that fits all. But one common denominator is the foundation for healing. And that common denominator is forgiveness. And we hate it, don't we? We hate it. There is nothing we want to give more than that when we truly experience hurt and pain. There have been several sources that have contributed a lot to my life around this theme of forgiveness. Um, three that play into what I'm sharing a lot this morning um, would be the book, The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu. I highly recommend The Book of Forgiving to you. Um, recently, uh, Jen Hatmaker's new book of Mess and Moxie has a wonderful chapter on forgiveness. And then there's a little pamphlet. It's not even in print anymore. It's called Forgiving and Forgetting, Leaving the Past Behind has shaped my perspective and journey on forgiveness so much. But sometimes I think when we talk about forgiveness, it is helpful to remember what it is not. So let's be really clear. Forgiveness is not condoning evil. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. It is not sweeping a wrong under the rug. It is not a free pass to the offender. It does not mean minimizing what happened or minimizing your pain. It does not shrink an offense down. That is not forgiveness. It does not just shrug off a loss. Oh, big, no big deal. Just moving on. That is not forgiveness. It also never means surrendering to another version of the story. That's not forgiveness. It never communicates that this didn't happen or it didn't matter or it did not cause pain. It also might not mean reconciliation. You have forgiveness in one lane. You have reconciliation in another lane. And those are separate lanes. And sometimes they converge, but sometimes they do not converge. Some breaches are restored and relationships mended, but some are not safe. And they might never be. The other person might be entirely unsorry, and maybe there's just no path to reconciliation. Forgiving a chronic abuser is important in the healing journey, but that does not mean jumping back into the burning fire of that relationship. That is not grace. That is foolish. It's not grace. It's foolishness. And forgiveness is just a totally different lane than reconciliation. Uh, the other thing is, uh, and this would kind of be the last thing it's not, forgiveness rarely is a one-and-done journey. I do not know very many instances where someone just forgives one time and that's done. It typically is a process where this comes back up and needs to be dealt with anew over and over. Sometimes that's a, just a couple times. Sometimes that is months or years of work. The fact that forgiveness is stubborn like that and can keep popping up does not mean that you are failing at it. 
It does not mean that you will never be free. It just simply means that forgiveness is a long road in the same direction. So to think on what is right is to not rehearse those wrongs in my head. I've learned that keeping somebody on the hook really keeps me on the hook. Because when I attempt to lock that other person up, I am locking myself up. I'm locking my heart and my mind up in resentments and worry and thinking about what happened and things that are not in my control often anymore. And what it does is over time, it causes you to act out of that woundedness rather than out of freedom. What it does over time is it just crushes everything Christ-like and tender in you. The work of forgiveness is super challenging. I mean, the actual work of like naming, empathizing, grieving, releasing, that process of forgiveness, that is like a death. I am dying to what I wish would have been. And that's, it isn't. It isn't anymore. It is a true loss. It is a true grief. I am like taking out a shovel and I am burying what I had hoped would be, what I had thought would be, what I had expected would be. I am burying that. I'm burying all my expectations. And it's truly a cause for grief. Um, how do we begin? How do we begin this journey? Here's the thing, no template. But I can just say, in my journeys with forgiveness, absolutely every time, it has involved prayer. It has involved me stopping when I notice I'm driving in the car, I'm in the shower, I'm rehearsing the wrong, whatever the wrong would be, little or big, stopping right there and taking that whole scenario, taking that person, taking that situation, taking all that was said, all that I'm replaying, all this things in my mind, bundling all of that up, and in my mind's eye before God, walking it up a hill to the foot of the cross and laying it down, releasing it, relinquishing it, and simply saying, Jesus, you have forgiven me. I have no right to harbor unforgiveness in my heart. So I lay this down, and I trust it to you. I am going to pry my hands from the fixing I want to do, from the solutions, from the outcomes. I'm going to pry my hands off. I'm going to lay it down at the foot of the cross. You've forgiven me. I have no right not to forgive this person. Will you please heal me? And for me, in a few instances, this has been over and over and over again. Not one time, but every time, it comes back up in my mind every time I start focusing on what is wrong. I return my mind in prayer to laying that down. Forgiveness is a long road in the same direction. Now, prayer doesn't always heal the relationship. Sometimes it does, and that's beautiful. But here's the thing. It has healed me. God is still working miracles, and sometimes they're in you. They're in you. 
forgiveness sometimes feels like, am I just abandoning justice? I need to stay angry. Otherwise, I'm not about justice. But here's the thing. It might feel like abandoning justice, but actually it is setting you free, setting you free sometimes to truly work for justice. It is liberating us from this crushing responsibility to oversee the resolution ourselves. And that resolution may or may not ever come. What it does is it takes our minds and our hearts and our attentions and it brings them back into the present to be with the here and now, the present, the people in my real life today. Forgiveness really gives us back our lives. It is holy it is hard, and basically, it simply says, God, here's this really sad thing, and I'm asking you to fix it, or mend it, redeem it, bear witness to it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I'm giving it to you. What we do is we bury underground we just we bury all that we wanted and then what we do is accept what we actually have we bury what we wanted to be our story and we accept what we actually have and here's the beautiful thing that happens when we do that very slowly very fragilely not very strong at first a little blossom pops up from the rubble of that scenario that's what forgiveness does. It brings new life in you that you can move on and be free and not be defined by what has happened in your life that was not what you planned. Here's the thing. Whatever you nurture and tend to in your life is going to grow. So if you nurture and tend to the wrong, the resentment, it will grow. And if you nurture and water and tend to grace and forgiveness and think on what is right, over time, the life of those things pushes through, pushes through that ground and opens up life in you. Henry Nouwen says this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. To think on what is right is to relinquish my need to make it right myself and to trust that God is making all things right even when I can't see that. And there is just a certain patience and trust in God. I can remember when I was in elementary school, do you remember the science fair project where you get the little cup, fill it with dirt, plant the seed, and then you go home and stick it on your windowsill? get sunlight, you water it every day, I can remember, like, it's not growing, it's not growing. And my impatience led me to just, like, start digging around in there looking for the little seed. Pull it out, it's like kind of a little bit started to sprout, but after I messed with it, it died a few days later. And I can remember talking about it and just 
thinking like, oh, if I would have just left it alone to do its thing. That's what it can feel like sometimes. It's underground. You don't see that work. You don't know when that is going to be made known to you. But God is making things right and new. And we don't know how long it will take. And we don't know how it will take place. But sometimes the most important thing we can do is have a patient trust that waits. And sometimes the messing with a situation to make sure it works just backfires on us. Because by messing with it, I wasn't trusting God to take care of it. So to think on what is right is to focus our thoughts on trusting, a trusting confidence. God is making things right even when I cannot see it. Jesus said these words in John 4, he has sent me to set things right, to give freedom from every sort of oppression, to heal what has been damaged and broken, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a sense in which I am, I am choosing with forgiveness. I am saying, I leave justice in the hands of the only one who can really bear it. And as I do that, I move into the peace of God. I read a story this week, uh, illustrates this well. During a time of terrible atrocities in Armenia, there was a Turkish soldier who pursued a young man and his sister down a dark alley and took this young man's life let the sister go, but only after she had witnessed her brother's brutal murder. And later, that same woman, that same sister, was working in a hospital. And a Turkish man was brought in, in critical condition, into her ward of the hospital. And it was that same soldier who had shot her brother, he was wounded so badly that she knew if she just left him alone, he would, he would die. He would not survive. And at first she really wrestled because she had this desire for vengeance. But she realized that as a follower of God in the way of Jesus, the Lord wanted her to treat this man with kindness. And so she gently and patiently nursed him back to health. And one day, that soldier, that Turkish man, he recognized her. And he said, why didn't you just let me die? And she said, I'm a follower of Christ. And he said, love your enemies. And that man was just silent for a long time. And finally, he said, I never knew that anyone could have such a faith. If that is what it does, Tell me more because I want it. There is power in forgiveness and only God can do it in you. So Paul would say, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is pure, whatever is right. Think on such things. And the peace of God that transcends all your understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many of you know the serenity prayer, but if it would be meaningful to you, I have it on the slides for us this morning. And as we prepare to come to the table, I just thought we could read this prayer together because there is a phrase in the old version of the serenity prayer that says this, I am accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. And I would invite you to pray that in faith together with me this morning. Let's pray. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time,